Hi, I'm Rachel Hancock, editor of the Gold Coast Bulletin, and it's my pleasure to introduce you to the Women of the Year podcast series. We're delighted to partner with Harvey Norman in bringing this podcast series to life, and in particular their CEO, Katie Page, who has championed women throughout her career. The Gold Coast Bulletin's role in the community is to inform, inspire and celebrate the people who make a real difference to our city. You're going to hear from five inspiring women in this series, so sit back and get comfortable as these remarkable women share their stories with you. At the time, you know, before we fell pregnant with him, I was ready to give up and uh, and just move on. And we had sort of plans to do that, my husband and I, because we already had one daughter. So we sort of felt like, well, if this is our lot, let's just focus on her and have a great life. Um, but then I see his face and I think, oh, thank goodness we didn't because now life wouldn't be the same without him. He's just the best thing ever. Welcome to the Women of the Year podcast, brought to you by the Gold Coast Bulletin. I'm your host, Brooke Stoddart, and in this series, we'll be chatting to five hugely successful women from all different fields. Yet they all have one thing in common. They've all been raised with the belief that gender has nothing to do with success. I'm here with Emily Jade O'Keefe today. She's one of the Gold Coast's best, most popular radio announcers? I think so. (laughs) (laughs) So is my mum. (laughs) And I'm so excited because she's also a judge of our Gold Coast Women of the Year Mm -hmm. because we really, really, well, we, meaning I, really, really wanted her to be a judge, but she was on maternity leave. And then (laughs) when she came back, I was so excited and so happy that you agreed to be part of it. So, EJ, when you announced your pregnancy last year, you said five years, 260 weeks, 1,825 days, 2.3 million minutes. <laughs> That's how long and desperately we try have tried for this little life. So during that five years, you lost 32 embryos from during IVF. Mm-hmm. You had a miscarriage. You had to have emergency surgery to ensure the pregnancy went to term. And then you had bed rest for 10 weeks prior to Teddy's birth. Tell me what you feel, if you can put it into <laughs> mere words, what you think when you look into his little face. That I'd do it all again. So, yeah, I would go through all of that again for him, absolutely. At the time, you know, before we fell pregnant with him, I was ready to give up and uh, and just move on. And we had sort of plans to do that, my husband and I, because we already had one daughter. So we sort of felt like, well, if this is our lot, let's just focus on her and have a great life. Um, but then I see his face and I think, oh, thank goodness we didn't because now life wouldn't be the same without him. He's just the best thing ever. So I would, do it that, I would do it all again. It's such a hard thing when you're going through all of that, mm. that um, trials and tribulations and, and upsets on your body mm. to know when enough is enough. And I'm sure during that five years people tried to talk you out of pursuing a second child. Is that true? No, I never had anybody do that, to tell you the truth. Um, they may have... Th- talked about it behind my back. I may have had, you know, relatives saying, you know, she's had enough or they've had enough or, you know, she's lucky enough to have one child. But it was never said to me, to my face, I've got really supportive friends and family. Like there were times when I I was the one. People had to talk me into keep going. 
to be honest. It was my husband and, and you know, my mum my mom especially because she works in childcare and loves babies. They were the ones saying, you can keep going, keep going, you can do this, you can do this, you know, especially in the dark days. Like after my miscarriage, I was like, I've had enough, that's it. I just don't want to go through this anymore. And it was actually family members that said, no, you just keep going, keep going, it'll be worth it. That's so. really interesting because I've had some friends mm. probably haven't done as many rounds as you have done, but yeah. but we're told, you know, be grateful. Be grateful. I was the one telling myself that and others. So I had a friend that had two children already and was trying really hard for a third and when it really wasn't working out and she was going through like a horrific heartbreak, I was like, but you've got two, you know, you can... You're fine, you know, and just appreciate the two. And I used to look at Millie and I would think, does she think that I think she's not enough? Because in my pursuit for another child, will she ever think, but I'm here, but I'm here. And so I was always trying to put out the vibe that she was completely enough and if it didn't happen, that's fine. Um, so I like I was the negative Nelly on myself and on others. I was that person. But towards me, everyone always said, keep going, Millie's so great, you make great babies, so keep going. What would you say to, um, to women? And, and couples and families who are going mm. through fertility issues, whether it be trying for the first child or, or trying for their mm. fifth, if that's what they want. Well, it's funny because the lesson, you know, here am I saying that I was the one saying it's time to give up and you've got one and focus on that. But then now I've got Teddy and the beauty of hindsight is just keep going, have a crack. I believe in having an end game. I believe that like, um, you know, and I, I use this analogy a lot, you've got to be a bit like an athlete in their career. We know that any kind of sport has an end date because your body isn't going to last forever under that sort of extreme circumstances. So a lot of athletes have that end game of I train, if I win medals, if I win grand finals, I also probably need to be doing some training behind the scenes so that when I finish, I can be on television or I can be a teacher or I can be a doctor or whatever it is. And so I would say have an exit plan and make that plan equally excellent so that you can look forward to it, but have the end date. And we had an end date. This, like, Teddy's very lucky. He was, we've got one more egg frozen and and if that didn't work, we were finishing and our end game was travel. Our end game was, well, it's pretty easy to fly a family of three. We can sit in the same row on a plane and not have a, you know, walkway in between us, which is what happens when you have, you know, that fourth family member. So our end game was that and I was looking forward to that. And that's how the universe works. I had another plan that I was looking forward to and the universe went, well, let's do this then. Endometriosis was That's my diagnosis. And and look, that's really common and a lot of women Mm. don't realise they have that until Mm. they are diagnosed. How old were you when you discovered? So I was 28 and I was actually diagnosed with two things at the same time. And if there's a link, I don't know. I I do read a lot of research, interestingly, and and both my issues are hormonal. So I would say they're linked. So I was diagnosed um, at first with Hashimoto's disease, which is an autoimmune disease. Your body attacks its thyroid and it doesn't work. And your thyroid is your hormone system. So um, I was tired. My nails were breaking. My hair was breaking off. Um, I felt incredibly lethargic. Um, and, and so then I, I, I literally thought I was dying and I went to the doctor and said, how long have I got to live? I've got this going on. And she went, let's just send you off for some tests first. And then when it came back, she said, I suspected that. And so then it wasn't far after that that then, um, and, and, and when we got on top of the Hashimoto's, I still had some of the issues. And I was like, but I'm, 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 my thyroid um, numbers 
menopause are great. Why am I still having, you know, the painful periods and um, and all that kind of stuff? And she went, okay, well, now let's send you for these other tests. And so I had Hashimoto's and endometriosis. But I'm now 42, so that was 14 years ago I was diagnosed and I've got to say like it's come endometriosis and it's the understanding of it and the acceptance of it has come so far in 14 years because when I was diagnosed I literally was told had to have an operation to get diagnosed they can't just do a blood test and the doctor was like you've got endometriosis here's a little pamphlet Um, now go home and live your life and it didn't say anything about pain management about infertility it was just this is what it is good luck you know now you get diagnosed and there's counselling services and their support groups and so it's a different world for endometriosis sufferers which is great because I felt so alone and I had no idea no idea what was in store for me and I suppose you know if you are diagnosed in your 20s you haven't necessarily met your partner yet yeah well I had which was good and Jared is amazing he was the one encouraging me to continually go to the doctor he was like something we hadn't been together very long but he's like mm, I think your energy levels and everything there's something not quite right so off you go um and we wanted – he's eight years younger than me. And when I met him, I literally gave him the speech. I was like – he chased me, you see. And I was like, that's very nice, young man, but I'm 28. Um, I've been in a marriage before and I'm divorced. And the next guy I'm with, I want him to be my baby daddy. So if that's you, you better, like, <laughs> decide at 20 if you're going to be a young dad and if you're cool with that. And he was like, yep, no, love you, I'm in it for the long run. Little did we then realise that <laughs> – He's a keeper. We would have terrible troubles and I'm the one telling him we've got to have kids and he, in the end, wanted them so desperately and I was like, oh, I don't know if it's going to happen now because then I got diagnosed and then we had all the trouble. How A lot of people forget the dad or forget the partner yeah. in the fertility roundabout, I suppose. How did he handle it? Yeah, well, it, it was typical for him because he, you, you test both of you, which is good. A lot of women go and get tested straight up first and then they, um, you know, when you go to your doctor, you they kind of go, okay, we've sort of cancelled out you being the problem. Uh, let's go and test the dad. And Jared went and got tested and um, he had amazing sperm. <laughs> he basically had uh, like triple, we, we called it super sperm. He basically was super sperm man. And every doctor we went to, uh, because we had to have a change in doctor because we changed cities and the doctor went, um, this is for our second baby. Uh, we better test your sperm. And, and Jared's like, nah, I've got super sperm. And he's like, well, you know, it's been a few years. Let's just, just make sure. And then he came back and the doctor said, I feel like we should run this test again. That doesn't seem right. And Jared's like, what do you mean? He said, well, it's just too much. <laughs> And he went, I told you. And so the doctor ran another test and came back and went, yep, no, you are correct. You have super sperm. So it's hard for him knowing that he could pretty much impregnate all of the Gold Coast (laughs) (laughs) but couldn't impregnate me. But it was my fault. So you say fault. Well, yeah. We do that, don't we? I do that, yeah. It was my fault. It was my body's fault. My body was letting the team down. Um, And so there's a big responsibility on you as the woman then. If your body's letting the team down, it was like I was on the diets, I was on the potions, I was doing the exercise, I was not drinking, I was doing all that sort of stuff. And sometimes I'd look at Jared and he'd have a beer in his hand at a barbecue and I'd be like, yeah, I'd be like, oh, you're annoying me. Swimming for Australia. Yeah. But he, honestly, although he never showed it to me, he was always the pillar of strength. He had like he had moments which after Teddy he started telling me more of those moments, you know, driving to work on the M1 and just crying after our miscarriage, you know. Um, you know, things like that that he never really 
told me because he was just trying to be strong for me because I was, as I said earlier, doing the whole, That's a, just one, just one, I'm sick of it, I'm tired of it. And so he decided, oh, I'll just continue to remain positive for her because that way that'll get her over the line to keep trying. He's a keeper. <laughs> he's a keeper. Yeah, he's, he's a keeper. And he's become a friend to many because, it you know, while women are still – we're still learning to talk openly about it and that's what I love with my job and I have made it my mission to talk openly about my infertility issues so that it helps others. But men don't talk about it at all and he will get calls from people, you know, people he went to school with that he hasn't heard from in 10 years going, oh, I've heard your wife talk about it. What can I do to support my wife? We've been doing it for four years. And Gerald, wow, four years? It's just really getting me down now. I don't know what else to do. So there does need to be more for men on that side of things. Definitely, because they're obviously experiencing the disappointment. And mm. while and seeing their wife sad. And, and mood swings. And, mm. you know, it must, it must be really, really difficult. Yeah, and unless it is the man's issue, as in low sperm count or something, it, the woman has to take on the brunt of it. You know, the men literally go once to a little room and do their business, and then that business can be spread out. You know, whereas women have to inject and inject again and inject again and look after their health the whole entire time. And so a, a lot of what Jared gets is guys saying, how do you support your wife through this? What do you do? What do you say? And and I, I don't know Jared's answer per se, but I know that what he did for me, and it was a lot, <laughs> it was, you know, he if I got angry, he would never just take it all on board. He would understand that I'm hormonal that day. If I was having a cry, it was just a hug, that sort of stuff. Now, with Millie, your your little girl, when Teddy was born, there's this gorgeous, <laughs> gorgeous video of her on your Instagram holding a little brother and, and cradle him and saying, you know, he's the love of my life. Mm. You know, how hard was it? And you've, you've touched on a little bit about how mm. hard was it to include a child in this, you know, very mm. difficult journey? Look, it wasn't hard at all. Um for me, Millie was the, towards the end when I wanted to give up, it was Millie continually saying, why does everybody else have brother and sisters and I don't? Um, and she loves babies. See a baby in a supermarket, she's the first person to run over and give them her germs as she smooches their face. So she was really a part of it. And I guess that the difficult thing was is appointments. And, um, you know, for the until she went to school, I'd have to take her to some appointments. And, and you know, we'd be... <laughs> yeah. When you're going through IVF, you know, that particular month, you might be going nearly every day for appointments and I'd have to sit her in, you know, reception centres and um, reception rooms. Now, look, I want to switch gears a little bit and actually talk about your career. Now, you grew up in Tasmania and you told me this morning you started in community radio, but there's a reason why you switched to television. <laughs> Pretty quickly. Can you can you tell me about yeah. that? Oh, it's, gosh, it's a funny story. So I um, went to uni there and did performing arts. And whilst I was uh, doing that, I also worked at a community radio station. And I also did some pageants as well. One of my close friends at uni, um, she had won like Miss Indy and stuff. And she said, you should do pageants too. It's a great way to win great prizes and travel. So I went in a pageant and I won Miss Launceston Cup. <laughs> And with that came some television presenting on the day of Launceston Cup. And um, they were like, you're really good at that. And 
so then I um, offered to just do whatever I could for free around the station and ended up um, on the weekends being the, the prompter of the words, the teleprompter or whatever they call it. I've forgotten the words now. And um, which used to be like A4 pieces of paper. It was the most nerve-wracking job in the world because the newsreader relies on your words. And if you stuff up or the words get crumpled, like it's all computerised now, but it used to be like inserting the paper and then ro- like winding a wheel slow enough that they can read it but fast enough that they don't look like they're having a stroke on air, you know. And that's how it started. And uh, one day the weather presenter was away and they said, quick, put a jacket on and some makeup and jump in front of the TV. And off you go, a career was born. Yeah. Did you do performing arts at uni to be a performer or was it Yeah. Yeah, so my, my, my grandfather acted and my dad acted, just amateur things. So I just grew up around um, musicals and the stage and the Steadfords and public speaking. So it was just a natural progression. And, um, yeah, so – but I – I studied theatre. I wanted to be an actor. I wanted to be on Neighbours. I actually moved to Melbourne in the holidays and tried to get a job there and all I did was get a job at Coles at Ngunnawaddy. <laughs> but it was close enough, close enough to the Neighbours set. <laughs> I auditioned for Home and Away. Did you? So there you go. Yeah. <laughs> How'd you go? You're uh, sitting here. <laughs> sitting here, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Actually, Justine Clark got the role. Oh, did so she? Well, at least you went up after someone worthy. How'd it go? So I grew up in Sydney and mm. um, and I, in the 80s and 90s, I'm a little bit older than you, but I loved Yana Vent and that's yes. who I sort of modelled my, you know, career on. Is there somebody? Kerry ann Kennelly. Whilst I was at uni, she was at the height of her midday days and so I would go home and watch her on the TV and think, one day I want to be just like her. And fabulous, you actually got to work with I her. I did, and she found me, which is amazing when you think about manifesting things. But I always thought she was amazing, and I was working for the Courier Mail, um, and I was doing one of the first in Australia video blogs, which they had, you know, they were trialling at the time. We did for about a year, and apparently her um, producers would sort of get content from some of the stuff I was producing. And then one day she just said, "Why don't we just get her on the TV then?" And I got a call from a producer saying, "Kerry and Kenley would like you to be a part." Of the show and this is what we have in mind and it took me two seconds to say yes and that ended up uh, working for five years on that show. You've spoken about it before I mean television and radio and and even newspapers but not to the extent when management decides to make a change mm. how does that feel how did how do you deal with it when you've got such a public role? Yeah well the the, the Kerry and Kenley show folded at the same time I was um, pregnant that year and they followed, the Kerry and Kenley show followed my pregnancy, but I was also doing breakfast at Triple M. And um, so it'd been a big year. I'd been working really hard. I was still writing for the Courier Mail as well. I essentially had three jobs and baking a baby. And um, and I was wondering how I was going to manage it all. And then the universe opened up and Kerry Ann's show got cancelled and I lost my job at Triple M. So within weeks of each other. Um, so the Triple M show wrapped up when, uh, a month before I had my baby. And then um, on Carrie Ann's last day, I showcased Millie. So we came onto the show with the baby that the um, viewers had been following. And then that was it. That was the show. Although we didn't, it wasn't like a farewell show. She was never given that. Um, beautiful send off. We were basically told in the holidays. Now we're not re, we're not continuing with the show, which is a bit unfair because she was a legend. I think you, you know you hear stories mm. about that all the time. Yeah, that's right. What advice did she give you? Because she's she'd been around. You know, she's yes. obviously very experienced and yes. been through it before. Yeah. So she said, um, you know, don't take the first job that's offered to you. You're, you've got value, you've got worth, and you'll be really down, and you'll be wondering how you're going to pay the bills, and so you'll just take any job. Don't. Don't take it, unless it's epic, but just, you know, weigh up your options. 
other jobs will come. And, and she was right and all the right jobs came along. She's a very wise lady. There's been a lot of downsizing in all sorts of different industries in the past few years. What advice would you give to, to women who find themselves out of a job or get to a point in their career and they think, I don't want to do this anymore, I want to try something new? Mm. What advice would you give? Just do it. Like I'm a go-getter and even on my maternity leave with Millie, I started up a kids' children's swimwear company just because it was. I had an idea and I was like, let's have a crack. And my husband and I put aside a certain amount of money that we thought, you know, we'd do it. It failed. Like it, I'm still proud of it. And I now see swimsuits around that are so similar. And I'm like, I knew I was onto something at the time. They were just completely head to toe covered in, you know, swimsuit fabric. And um, I just didn't know the retail industry enough. But just do it. Just have a crack. Set, much like the exit plan for your infertility and the day you're going to stop and what you're going to do next. It's the same with ideas. Just have a crack, but know that that's, no, that's the. I'm not going to spend any more money. That's it. If I get to that, that's that. Um, but I, I do, I wear lots of hats and it's because I know the media is uh, very volatile. So, you know, I'm a marriage celebrant. I write, I'd be on television, I do radio and, and that's out of necessity, essentially. That's out of knowing that one day this might come to the end, but that's okay. I've got this on the other side. How important is that side, side hustle? Side hustle. Side I hustle. do love that. Too, yeah. Side hustle. Yeah, yeah. Uh, well, in my industry, it's very, very important. It's just as long as they all complement each other, and I think that they all do. Um, yeah, because you just you don't know what's around the corner, and and I'm also a big believer um, with women going back to work as soon as possible. I know it's hard on kids, but you don't know what's going to happen. Your partner could die tragically. You could separate. You could have an accident and can't work, and so. Unless you keep your skills set up and that income coming in the door, you're going to be vulnerable. And, and that comes from a place of my husband's father passed away after a very short illness. And, you know, his wife had credit cards cancelled and, and Jared had to step into the family business because people weren't respecting her as a woman trying to run it. And, um, you know, so I, when I met him, I saw a very young man struggling under a huge weight of existence because they were trying to keep the kids in in school, um, pay the school fees. And so Jared and I are very much on the same page. Um, you know, and I went through a divorce and, and lost a lot in my divorce. So very much on the same page of we've both got to work, we've both got to input, we've both got to be ready in case something terrible happens. Sounds terrible to say that, no, but totally, it happens. I totally agree. Have you had any obstacles in your career? And do you think being a woman has been a hindrance or a help? Or <sighs> I think I'm a bit of a different one because I've... I've got a strong dad and four brothers and I just wasn't raised any differently to being one of the boys. And then in the early days, certainly in media, it was a boys club, but I didn't see myself any differently. So I kicked around with them and and and, and this is probably a strange thing to admit, but like I wasn't the prettiest, best looking, best body girl out there either. So I was never sort of ogled at or treated Differently, I think sometimes beauty can be a curse in that sort of regard. Says the pageant winner. Well, I know, but that was a lot of makeup and learning. Like my girlfriend really worked hard on me, and you know, I was Miss Congeniality movie essentially. You know, I was this sort of chubby freckled braces girl at the beginning, and then she, you know, did the Swan thing or whatever. Um, but yeah, I I've had incidents. I've had me too moments um, in this career, definitely. But because of the way I was raised, I was able to push certain men away and just go, you've got to be joking, bugger off. And they would know straight away, well, this is not a girl, you know, to be messed with. But then also because I was the only girl in the room, that also helped me 
So I was considered for lots of different jobs because I was a lot of the time the only girl in the room. I know for some stories, yes, women have found this industry hard, but I actually, besides one or two moments that burn in my mind, um, everything else has just been just work hard and just be yourself and, and you will get those rewards. People will see you. Have you found you've always been paid equally or? No, no, but my industry is hard for that. So, you know, in some cases, the guy's been in radio a lot longer. So, of course, he's paid more. You know, that just makes sense to me. Um, and so, yeah. But in some places, I've been paid more because I've been in it longer. So, it's, it's a bit of a hard... It's not like a, it's not like a teacher where you there's both no have award. to earn this. Yeah, there's no award in, in, my, in my industry. You're, you're negotiating your own contract. And so, if you sign the dotted line, you've got to be happy with what you've signed for. What's the best part of your job? Talking. <laughs> There's so much that I love about my job, which is another reason why I'm, you know, getting up at that really early time and, and you know, leaving my baby at home with his dad and, and some, you know, help um, because I it, it makes me feel like I have purpose every day. I wake up knowing that I'm going to be talking to people, I'm going to be sharing the news, they're going to be winning prizes that can change their lives. Um, I'm in a room with great guys who are like my brothers. We call each other work wives and husbands, but really they're like my brothers. We kick around the same. Um, yeah, I just I love that I can make a difference. I said to a friend once I was upset about something going on in the you know political arena and I said, I should become a politician. That's the first thing I'd change. And he actually said to me, I think you can make more more change with your voice on the radio because you can tell people that that's an injustice and then they can go and vote for the right person based on that rather than trying to get them to vote for you and then you get into the arena. He's like, just stay where you are. You can affect more change there and that's always stay with me. So true. You have so much more influence yeah. doing what you do. Yeah, because politicians now is almost a dirty word and a politician says something and people are like, you know, whereas with me, I'm still their mate and they can, oh, you know, she has hasn't got an agenda here. Trust. Yeah, I don't have an agenda for anything other than I'm, I need to share this with you and I think this is right or this is wrong. I'm not going to be trying to secure myself a job at the other end of it by telling you you need to vote for me because of this, that and the other. What advice would you give to any young girls or women who have an interest in broadcasting? Um, start somewhere for free. Community radio stations are an excellent breeding ground and I hope they continue to stay. I, I did three years in community radio, uh, so Christo, my co-host, it's such a great place. You've just got to... We used to call it, you've got to, you've got to have the hours. You've got to put in the hours. So, you know, you're not just going to be a funny person at your local barbecue <laughs> and then get on the radio. You need to go to these community radio stations and start practising and find out who you are and, and what it is you stand for and what's your style going to be. Um, so definitely put in the free hours. It still exists. You can't, you can't go to a, you know, six-month course in radio. You might learn a bit there, but it's actually the hours, the flying time that'll get you the gig. I think it's probably the medium that is absolutely has held its own. It has. There's been so many other changes, you know. Television now, um, you know, it's competing heavily with social media and Netflix and things like that. And, uh, you know, print is 
is competing with those avenues as well. Phones have been, uh, you know, um, almost like a virus for these medias because they've just taken over. Whereas, you know, getting in your car and listening to your local radio station to get the news and the traffic and the weather immediately doesn't happen. So people are still listening to radio. Have you been mentored through your career? Absolutely. Yeah, you have to have mentors. I'm a big believer in mentors. In radio, a lot of my mentors were men, great men, who, um, you know, fostered me and gave me, um, you know, their time to help me go to the next level. And I'm still being mentored today. The programmer here at Hot Tomato is phenomenal and I just, he's continually changes me, even though he probably wouldn't even realise, just with the little things he says and does. Do you mentor anybody or have you? Um, I'm not actively mentoring, you know, I'm I'm a friend to many and if people come and say, you know, what would you do here, what would you do there, our our producer on our show, um, she's a great 24-year-old and I'm always saying, you should do this, you should do that. Whether she likes it or not, I'm mentoring her. Um, And I have had people, you know, only the other day I was at a function and a young girl came up and said, I met you about 10 years ago and told you I was interested in becoming a journalist in TV and you told me A, B and C and I just, I saw you across the room and had to come and say, this, I did it and here's where I am. And I was like, wow, you, you, you've got a better job than me now. Well done, <laughs> you know. So I guess I do. I just haven't had anybody just ring me up and say, can you be my mentor? When you are younger and you set those big lofty goals and it might take longer than you thought, you get there and it's not with until you have hindsight that you can look back and go, oh, well, yeah. I diverted a little bit, but hey, thank yes. God I did. Yeah. Oh, and the failures in the diversion sometimes are the ones that actually led you there. So at the time you're thinking, oh my gosh, this is not how I planned it. And when I lost my job at Triple M and I was doing the breakfast show, I was like, oh, that's it. My career's over. I was so, I was so down. And, and it was such, I was trying not to be down because I was heavily pregnant and I didn't want to have any negative vibes going into my baby. And, and, but, and then after I had her, I was in this weird headspace where I was, I fought so hard for this little baby girl but I'm not happy because I don't know what's next in my career and all I've known is Emily Jade O'Keefe career Emily Jade O'Keefe and now I'm mum and so I was in such a weird space and then the ABC rang and said are you coming off maternity leave we'd like you and I was like somebody somebody wants me and if I hadn't have left Triple M I wouldn't have worked for a magnificent organisation the ABC were amazing and then that led to Hot Tomato And when I go back to those original goals 20 years ago, I wanted to do breakfast on the Gold Coast and be the number one breakfast announcer on the Gold Coast. So I actually had to lose a job to get the job. How do you keep yourself healthy and sane and and self-care? Yeah, isn't a new word, self-care? Self-care. No, it's (laughs) care for oneself. Yeah, it's a a new buzzword, self-care. It's really hard. I've got to say it's a lot easier to not exercise and eat whatever you want. And so I'm not going to say that's not a battle, especially when you're tired. But I do have to, um, with, with not just with endometriosis, but with Hashimoto's, um, Hashimoto's makes you put on weight. And so I've had to, ever since I've been diagnosed, carefully monitor everything that I eat. Um, but endometriosis, there's no denying that eating the right foods can help manage your body and manage pain. Um, so there's a lot of diet planning going on. I don't like the word diet, but there's in my diet... There is lots of healthy food. I don't eat a lot of sugar. Um, I don't eat a lot of 
I take away bad foods. Um, I exercise every day. I have to for my body and for my brain. So whether that's now walking in the pram a lot with my baby, uh, before him I was at F45, which was a, a gym that I found worked for me. Um, and my husband, it, we both keep each other in track with, with food and, and, and our health choices because we want to be around for a long time, but we need that energy. We need good health to have energy to wake up at those hours. I'm just going to ask you our fast five. <laughs> so don't think about it too much, mm-hmm. but I'm just going to ask you really quickly, what's your favourite song? Uh, Guns N' Roses, Sweet Child of Mine. Sing it at every chance, karaoke. I'm the first one out there. <laughs> what's your favourite movie? I, I'm stuck on A Star Is Born at the moment. I can't stop watching it. I absolutely adore it. What are you reading at the moment? Um, there is a pile <laughs> on my bedside table, which often makes me feel crap about myself because I'm trying to get the time to read them. But Raising Boys, Steve Bidoff was given to me because I had a son and I read Raising Girls and he's excellent. They're amazing books. Great. What advice would you give to your 25-year-old self? Um, you choose a different doctor. <laughs> Don't go to the doctor that I went to. <laughs> go to a different one for something that I you know, haven't spoken about. But yes. If you first don't get the right advice, go somewhere else. And what three words would you like to be remembered for? Oh, I don't know. Um, fun. Funny. <laughs> Funnest. <laughs> That's a hard one. I don't know. Yeah, I just, I don't have three words, but I just hope that I'm known as someone who is nice and caring and fun. There we go. Nice, caring nice, and fun. Nice, caring and fun. Nice, caring Perfect. and fun. Perfect. What a lovely way to end. <laughs> Emily Dodo, Keith, thank you so much for your time. It's been wonderful. No, thank you for having me and I hope I didn't bore people. <laughs> I'm like, normally I'm the one asking the questions. This it is weird, weird having it right? turned around onto me. Yeah. No, it's been great. Thank, thank you. you so much. Thank you. Next week I speak to Kelly Robertson, the head of Westpac Private Bank in Queensland. She's a girl from the suburbs who's reached the top of the corporate world by making a career out of helping families plan for their financial future. We need to play much more of a role in, you know, in in doing that, doing it early and appropriately and making sure that children come to the table and understand how decisions are made and understand just some basics. And I'd love to see that more integrated, you know, even in junior schooling. The Women of the Year podcast is written and produced by me, Brooke Stoddart, and audio engineered by the wonderful Matt Fulton from Hot Tomato. Make sure you subscribe and download next week's episode, or if you'd like to read more about the Women of the Year campaign, go to womenoftheyear.com.au. Hi, I'm Rachel Hancock, editor of the Gold Coast Bulletin. Thank you for listening to the Women of the Year, a podcast brought to you by the Gold Coast Bulletin in partnership with Harvey Norman. Each day, the Gold Coast Bulletin tells the news and stories of our city, from hard-hitting news to the best in sport, which is possible thanks to our subscribers. Subscribers can enjoy full, unrestricted access to our content on desktop, mobile and our app. For a range of subscription options, I encourage you to visit goldcoastbulletin.com.au forward slash subscribe.